There is a sense in which the Bible, since it is after all literature, cannot probably be read except as literature, and the different parts of it as the different sorts of literature they are. C.S. Lewis. Welcome to The Lamppost in the Woods, the podcast that shines a light on the significance of the greatest stories ever told. From fairy tales to literary classics to the parables of Jesus, these stories have influenced the lives of countless people and still do. Here at The Lamppost in the Woods, we journey through the great books, dramas, poems, and stories to find what they have to say for our lives today. I'm your host, Dinah Koppel, and joining me in this fellowship are Benjamin Koppel, Jennifer Malik, and Evan Zenobia. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 7, The Greatest Story Ever Told. So this is season three of the podcast. If you have been with us for a while, listeners, you know that we have talked about a wide range of books, a bunch of different stories and fairy tales on this podcast, but hopefully you've noticed maybe a similar theme that goes through it all or a common thread that you see woven through all the episodes, and that is faith and scripture. We've talked a lot about the Bible and we've talked about how it um, affects literature and maybe some of the way we see themes from the Bible or lessons from the Bible that also show up in different types of literature. So today we are talking about the Bible. We are devoting an entire episode to it, which we believe the Bible is the greatest story ever told because this is the story about God and humanity and how God created a redemptive redemptive plan to save the world. Now, there's no way in the world that we can have an exhaustive episode on the Bible and go through all of the different things about the Bible in just this one episode um, and, and discuss all the things that there are to learn about the Bible. So for today, just to give you all a heads up, what you're probably going to be here more of is mainly our own experiences with the Bible and how it has uh, affected us. And just to be clear, you'll hear us today discussing the Bible in this episode, similarly to how we've discussed books on the show before. If you listen to our classics episodes or our spotlight on classics um, and so that's what we're going to be doing today, doing a little bit of analysis. And so discussing the Bible as literature. And we want to say up front, this is in no disrespect to the Bible. We're not denigrating it to just literature or just a book. But what we are saying is that the Bible is so unique and beautiful and incredible of a document that it does share some similarities with literature. And it is the greatest story ever told. And that's what we want to do on this podcast, right? We say it at the beginning of our little intro every week that we want to talk about the greatest stories ever told. So that's what we're going to do in this episode, talk about the greatest story ever told, which is the Bible. So we're going to dive into it. And this is normally my official spoiler warning. So I don't know if I need to give a spoiler warning for the Bible, but you know, there are a lot of exciting stories. And, and since we're talking about this is mm-hmm. like, like we normally would talk about our books, I guess I'm going to give my spoiler warning. Okay. So we will be spoiling any and all parts of the Bible today. Uh, so to get us started off, normally this is where Jen does her little history and about the author segment. And so today, you'll see how it's going to be just a little bit different, but I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to Jen for that portion of the episode. All right. So you probably have heard this before, but this was how it's described to me. And I'm sure you all have heard this, but the Bible, when we refer to it as who is the author, right? There are many writers of the Bible. And we know there are many writers, but there's only one author. And we have scripture that backs this up. So I'm going to have a couple scriptures that I'm going to share for reference. 
2 Peter 1.21 states, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were, moved by the Holy Spirit. And then 2 Timothy 3.16-17 states, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so we see that stories throughout the Bible help equip us to do the good works that God has called us to. Now, there are 66 books in the Bible, and it is made up of different literary genres, such as the law, historical, poetry and wisdom literature, narrative, epistolary, apocalyptic. And when we're reading scripture, I find that it's very helpful to know what the genre is when you're going in and reading a particular book, because it helps you to understand the purpose of the book and how we can properly apply it to our lives. And so, for example, you have the Kohelet, which is the Hebrew word for Ecclesiastes, and it's written as wisdom literature, so that when we sit down and we read Ecclesiastes, we know, okay, this is wisdom literature, so I'm going to approach this with a posture that understands wisdom is being imparted to me as I read these chapters. And so we can understand this as we sit down with each book in the Bible. With all of that said, let's talk about the Bible as literature, guys. I think I'll just take that as a, and you didn't pass it to me, Jen, but I'll just take it as a, as a, yeah, <laughs> jumping in to steal it from wherever he wants to get it. But um, when we talk about the Bible as literature, I think the best way for us to think back is to think back to, you know, English or literature in high school, like your literature, your literature class. And, um, all the different sorts of books that you had to read through school. And, um, at some point, I know when you're real young, it's more about learning how to read or learning how to write and things like that. But at some point you, you, uh, reach the place where ostensibly, at least you're reading these books because they're supposed to help you. You're supposed to learn from them. Um, and it's supposed to be about, you know, uh, habilitating us to live in this society and to live with people and to learn and to grow. And again, I say that it's supposed to be that way. Cause it seems like there's plenty of things you had to read in school, um, that were not very, uh, uh, you know, we're not very beneficial to us, but, but, but when you, yeah, the, the things you read as, as literature, they're supposed <laughs> to, they're, they're supposed to help you. They're supposed to be, they're supposed to make you a better person. You're supposed to learn and grow from that. So I mean, that's exactly why we read the Bible, right? Cause we're trying to learn and to grow and become better people. Uh, now there's, there's plenty of other levels you can read the Bible at as a religious text or as a, you know, a guide to how you should behave, um, places to find spiritual truths and things like that. And, and, and obviously there's, there's plenty of, of not plenty, there's hundreds and thousands of people who have looked at it in that way. Today, we're focusing on a literary aspect of how we're, of how we're supposed to live. Um, and so when you, like, like you in school, you read Huckleberry Finn to, to learn about, I don't know, whatever you learn Huckleberry Finn about, you know, read the great Gatsby <laughs> and we read the great Gatsby on the podcast. Um, and we talked about uh, the ideas we can get from that, you know, um, one of my favorite books i think it's is is comparable at least in like jen talked about wisdom literature is like a christmas carol you can read a christmas carol and there's basic things you can get from that uh about how to live your own life that's what we're looking at the bible as again there's those other layers there about about these are many 
that that these stories are 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 true things that happen, and these are historical people we're looking at. But the Bible is not written like a history book, really. It's written as like you know character studies, looking at people, and we get these personal examples, much like literature. So when we're looking at the Bible as literature, I think we look at the same way we've looked at other books in the past. You know, themes, characters, settings. How do all those things combine together to to teach us and help us to learn and to grow? Um, and just maybe if I, I'll just give like, you know, I, again, wisdom literature, I think is the easiest thing. We can look at Proverbs um, and those are like, those are, that's a genre that's, that's laid out for us line by line. These are things you should do, like do this, do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Be wise. Don't be wise. You know, I think one of the number one things in Proverbs is don't co-sign on anybody's loan. So, you know, get that there. But then other than the practical, we look at the stories in the Bible, how they model those things that the Bible's taught. We can look at the words of Jesus, the things that he taught directly, and then we can look at his life and the life of the apostles to see how those things are modeled. And that's what literature does or what literature is supposed to do for us. Right. It's interesting to me because like, maybe at first glance, you can look at the Bible and th see, think, oh, this is such a long book. Like, People who don't read the Bible can think, oh my goodness, like, how could you read that? It's so big. It's so long. But if you really think about it and think about like how many years of history it encompasses, the Bible really isn't that long. If you think about like all the different years, all the stuff that there is to know about God, it's like the Bible mm -hmm. just scratches the surface. So everything, which is me to believe, especially Jen with the scripture, you read that all scripture is profitable for doctrine that everything mm -hmm. in the Bible is in there for a reason. And the more I read it, it's like a, yeah. the more concise it actually is. And so everything in it is in there for a reason. I heard a preacher say once um, when he's talking about the history books in the Bible, he said, it's not just history. It's preached history or history with a lesson. It's not just in there to give us mm -hmm. a you know historical account of the different Kings of Israel or Judah or whatever, but it's in there specifically to teach us a lesson, which I think that's one of the great things about the greatest stories ever told. And Dr. Painter touched on it um, in his, in our discussion last, uh, last episode about what makes good literature and if it teaches you or what makes a good story. And it's true if it teaches you a lesson. So really I, the lens, I think we should look at the Bible when we look at it and say, okay, what's the purpose? Why is this in here? Why did God want this in here? Why did the specific author choose to have this part of the Bible in there, because even when you're going through like all the lineage lists and all the stuff, everything's in there for a purpose. And we can see this in our own, like our own Bible reading. It's almost like, I think of it almost as like a treasure hunt, right? Like when you're going into the Bible, especially when you see mm -hmm. something and, you know, we all have the parts of the Bible. If you read the Bible, that sometimes you skim over a little bit to look at those parts and think, okay, why did the author choose to include this in here? What's the reason for us having this? Like I'll just share a personal example um, in my in my own personal reading of the Bible lately, I've been in the 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 first five books of the Bible, so the Pentateuch. So I've been in the Book of Numbers, and it gives a whole big long list of a bunch of stuff. And I was reading this portion, and it's giving a list of all these gifts that were brought to the tabernacle. Like the head of this family brought this these gifts, and it lists it looked like almost like a paragraph of all the stuff that this leader listed at, gave. And then it gave it, and it's like a long chapter and it's literally this listing off like a laundry list of all the stuff that these people gave to the tabernacle and so I was reading it and I was like okay why is this in here and the more I thought about it, I was like okay I think it's important to God or God takes note 
of the gifts that we bring or the things that we do or what we can contribute, right? And you even see this in the New Testament in the Gospels when Jesus is seeing how much all the different people are dropping into the treasury, right? And he sees like, oh, all the rich people giving their money, but then he sees the poor woman just dropping in her two little pennies or whatever. And him saying, oh, look, she gave even more than everyone else, you know, because she gave everything she had. So I think that's just a small little example of like, looking at the Bible and thinking, okay, what's the purpose? Why did the author choose to have this in here? Yeah. And I think it's more than uh, also you mentioned, like, does something teach you a lesson? I mean, you, and I think we there's a distinction between, uh, you know, you can read a textbook and it teaches you a lesson um, as far as it just says it straight out for you, what you're supposed to learn. The lessons that were being yeah. taught in literature is is that it's uh uh it's it's modeled for us and it's it's uh right. it's it's played out for us. Same thing in the Bible. Um, I think the two, the Bible does both. It, it gives, like I said, it gives it gives you the lesson straight out. Here's what it is, and then it models it all for you. And we 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 look we look at the right. model as well. So it's it's even more than beyond like uh uh learning a lesson. It's it's like it, it's 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 giving us a lifestyle or it's giving us a a model to to base ourselves off of off of and i think that's really important because uh there the, I, I think we can look at the bible there are some things that 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 i think you can only be taught in story like like someone someone yeah. tells you a story and that's the mm-hmm. best way to to teach this lesson in words rather than say okay what's the moral of the story yeah. you can say the moral of the story but but like like i mean take a complex story like like david and goliath or something like that or or um i don't know the story of the apostle paul or gsv and the 5000 any of those stories okay what's the lesson we're supposed to learn here now you could give a three like a five word uh, uh blurb of what the lesson is but that's not as good yeah. as looking at the whole story and looking at the model of the story there uh, and i think at least in for ancient peoples it seems like they learn from stories better than they did just straight mm-hmm. out teaching a lot of the time. And the right, evidence for right. that is like Jesus with the parables, like some of those things, uh, Jesus told some parables and never said what they meant. I think because, I mean, he talks, there's different reasons he says in the Bible, his parables, he wanted, he wanted people who were not interested in learning. He didn't want them to know what was going on, but people who are actually wanted to learn, he wanted them to to know that's what that's why it was told in a story. He explains to his disciples things like that. But also, I think some of those things were best taught by the story. That's why he told a parable yeah. because that was the best way for him to teach it. So, so as far as the mm-hmm. so when we when we look at literature, we're learning the lessons like Dinah said, but we're learning them in almost like a complete form. Not here's the one lesson, but here's the whole character we can model ourselves after, and we can read a bunch of literature. Now, some of that, some yeah. of those literary characters and those stories we read, they're not. Like you can only learn one thing because you wouldn't want to pattern your life after them or they're not written well enough. But we look at the Bible. The Bible is so deep in the stories, in the characters, like you you can never find the the bottom. Like these characters and these There's stories no can apply it, yeah. in so many different ways. Yeah. Right. In so no many different ways. Yeah. And absolutely. Comply in so many different ways. Um, that's when I'm talking about like the Bible literature, that's that's kind of what I mean. And that's that that's what I think uh literature is supposed to do regardless of what your english teacher says these days if you're in high school uh, i don't know what english <laughs> teachers are teaching these days language or stuff like that but um that's traditionally what literature is supposed to was supposed to do right but then it also represents you... it like in uh in an interesting way like i i think a lot of the True. stories that we read like 
they represent important character arcs. Like it's it's an interesting story while also being applicable and relatable and contains depth, but it does it with a it does it with like a level of excellence that I think reflects yeah. even if you even if mm-hmm. you read papers on the structure of Absolutely. scripture like depend yeah. and it what's crazy is it changes it's so consistent but it changes from book to book the actual style and that's why i yeah. think it's important jen like you said you have to interpret it through the style of each of those books um but like take psalms for example psalms is written like in its entirety it's broken up into like five parts mm-hmm. written by eight to 12 different authors and yet mm-hmm. they all represent a, a chiasm structure um, where it's like it it says something and then it hits a middle point and then it reverses it and presents the information in a, it like inversely. And and yet it's poetic and beautiful. And even in English, it's beautiful, but we don't even get right. it in like we haven't even read it in Hebrew and we don't even understand right. like the sentence yeah. structure of what's going on there right. in the other languages. Like it's just sure. the, the complexity is, is I think what blows me away because I don't even feel like I'm scratching the surface most of the time. And then <laughs> yeah. I hear somebody like Dr. Painter in our huh. last episode, just talk about right. just how complex and how it mirrors and references itself. Like I, I forget that. I think the numbers, like the Bible references itself, I think 350,000 times. That's crazy. Um, either forwards or backwards. And I just cannot even begin to like fathom the scale of all that goes into that and how it's done seamlessly. Like there are no breaks. There's no logical yeah. breaks. There's no, it doesn't fall apart at any point. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it works somehow. <laughs> you no, know, it's true. It's true. Jordan Peterson calls it, um, says the book is, or the Bible is the first hyperlinked text ever because <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. To itself so and all sure. that, but <laughs> wow! And the the incredible thing for me, or one of the, I'm going to keep saying the incredible thing when it's like all the things about the Bible are incredible. <laughs> and you touched on it a little bit, Evan, when you talked about even we can read it in English and it's still amazing. One of the things we we talked about with, with good great literature is that regardless of the time period or the culture, it can still apply. And that's the thing about the yes. Bible: it being written thousands of years ago, being written in a different mm-hmm. culture for I guess you could say a different culture and written in a different language but yet now mm-hmm. thousands of years later it can still apply or you're reading like a story and you're like oh I know a person like that who acts just like mm-hmm. that you know or you read something mm-hmm. in Proverbs you know and you're like oh yeah um, mm-hmm. that that sounds familiar to me so that's one of just the and I think it's it's the mark of like the great literature and the great classics is it can just transcend time transcend culture transcend language and the Bible does that like the best like I think Mm-hmm. And, and as we go through, I'm sure we're going to be talking about things that like when we've talked about other great books and great classics, they share similar things, but the Bible just does it like the absolute best. <laughs> it was like the, yeah. the, the prototype and everyone else is like trying to be as good as it. As it. Okay. Uh, Dinah, it's interesting that you use the word prototype because I came across this huh. quote from the, Wa- the Washington Post today. Um, wasn't written today, but came across it today. And it said, among other considerations, it is useful to note that there is something prototypical about the Bible. In the Bible, we see the essential principles of literature highlighted. This makes the Bible the best possible introduction to literature and its techniques. 
And just reading that, I was thinking, yeah, like, of you know, obviously we know that. That's why we go back to the literature that we read today. It all comes back to the Bible. I think of how Lewis and Tolkien were talking about mythology and Tolkien was telling Lewis, the reason why you love all this mythology is because it comes from the Bible. It comes, it all yeah. comes back to that and these, yeah. you know, techniques and stories that um, we read. And I think what's cool too about with the entire Bible, even though it's made up of different genres, all of it's still story. So even when you were talking, when you were talking mm-hmm. about numbers and you're like reading it and, you know, sometimes you're reading yeah. some of the, the book of the law and you're like, oh my goodness, but there's yeah. intentionality <laughs> with it and there's a reason exactly. and it all, it all is still told as a story. And yeah. for during that time, you know, especially during the time of Jesus and the years preceding that is how like the faithfulness of God was passed down was through stories. And so they would tell these stories to their kids. They would tell, you know, these stories that they would hear over and over again so that thousands of years go by because, you know, they're not reading a biblical text like we are. Like we have the privilege to be able to just open up these stories, but it was passed on orally, right? Like it's passed on and told and continually as a story because, that's the way you're going to remember it. That's the way you're going to be telling your grandkids and great grandkids. And you're going to learn from that. And so even in the book of law, like there is a story in there of showing God's covenant to his people. And that's being passed down so that 2000 years later, they're saying, oh, this is the story that we've been telling all our lives, you know? Yeah. Thank you. I was going to say, I think Jen hit on exactly the thing about stories is because you can remember it better and you can apply it better. You know, like, 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 right. because they, not everybody had this physical copy of the Bible and I'm holding up a copy for those who can't see, which is everybody. Um, <laughs> they, they can, people couldn't read this. Like somebody, somebody had to, yeah. Like somebody had to, had to read it to them. Like in the old Testament, there was one copy of like the law and yeah. somebody had to read it to them. I want to say it was like every seven years they were supposed to read it and everybody was supposed to listen something to it or like something that, like that. I, I have to go back oh, and wow. like, uh but 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 that but that's when people read it. So what was the best way for people to remember it? The best way was to, for them to remember a story and then like, hey, follow this story. Like like emulate these characters or don't do the things that they did bad. That was the best way for people to remember and apply it to their lives right. was through the story. Now again, we have we have all the mm-hmm. laws and the rules and all that and like all those things are important as well. Um and, mm-hmm. I, and the Bible teaches those the dual purpose like that. Uh but I, but I think as far as talking about his literature, I think, I, and that in literature in general, we remember these things better because it's a story. And sometimes we yeah. can extract out the principles, but sometimes we can't. But even with the story, we don't necessarily have to have the principle extracted out as long as we have the story and we're working on the story and following the story. Was that what mm-hmm. you were going to say, Dinah? No, but, but that was really good. <laughs> I, I really liked it. What I was going to say was that <laughs> okay, one of the general <laughs> that you, you kind of reverence when you talked about you know them teaching them to their children. And one thing that Dr. Painter had talked about at our last episode was about like, if you're learning how to be a good storyteller, make sure that you, you're, you are the marks of a good storyteller is when you can tell a story that's palatable for children. Mm-hmm. Right. And we talked about that in relation to Lewis and him writing stuff for, for children and adults. And again, that's one thing that the Bible can be applicable to children and, and you can look at and say, well, you know, there's some intense stuff in the Bible. Yes, that's true. But I mean, for, you know, kids who grew up going to Sunday school, you learn all these stories and there's a way to make them a little more kid friendly. And regardless of where you mm-hmm. are on the spectrum of life, like whether you're young or you're old, the Bible can apply to you and there can be some way 
for the Bible to be palatable to you. If, if it those if any you know kids raised in church in the '90s, if you know you remember watching Veggie Tales, and just like a humorous example that I'll think of, that I think of, I was talking recently to, to someone who's also you know raised in church like in the '90s, and we're talking about Veggie Tales, and the one Veggie Tale episode we both like remembered was the King George and the Ducky. Do you guys remember that one? And it's like basically about you know yes. David and Bathsheba, yes. but it's telling the story of David and Bathsheba <laughs> about like King George having a whole bunch of rubber duckies and stealing from the one guy who. From the one little junior asparagus who has one du- rubber ducky, and yet you have like a very like complicated adult, if you will, story that mm-hmm. somehow yeah. you're able to tell. Like, so it's palatable for children. Then children can learn. Oh, you know, you're not supposed to be selfish. You're not supposed to, you know, steal from other people, and they can learn like the basic concept of it. So again, yet another way that the Bible is incredible is it can apply to people regardless of their age. That's a great point. Thank you. <laughs> you are welcome. I'll always remember the the slushies being launched from the walls of Jericho. That's my that's the Veggie oh. Tales feel that lives in my brain. Oh, so we all have something. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh. oh my and goodness. If you remember, so that's some? that's how that's how uh, King George got rid of. The other guy, he put him in the slushy war or something like that. So they reference it back. So he didn't actually die. He got he. There, it was a nice happy ending. Whereas the Bible story is not a happy war. ending at all. <laughs> I mean, there's the redemption of God and forgiveness, but I mean, oh yeah, my goodness, that's, that's funny. But, happy but, ending, no, but, but that even, I mean, the redemption part is good. But that brings up another thing about the power of stories because Nathan has the very difficult job of going to David. And telling him, like calling him out on a sin, which not a job mm-hmm. that I would want. And the way he mm. does it is by what? By telling a story, right? And he could have just yeah. gone and said, what you've done is wrong and it's horrible, which was true. But he used the power of story in order to show David mm. um, how horrible what it was that he had done actually was. And David, like he, this, like when he heard the story, this like righteous indignation just like rises up in him and he's furious and he wants to go like punch the man who had done this deed. And then Nathan turns it on him and says, oh, no, it's you. And then David's like, oh, shoot, you know? So, I mean, Jesus was the most famous for telling parables, but it was done, you know, before. I mean, you've got people like Nathan, and, and it was done other times in the Old Testament. But obviously, Jesus was the one who, like, perfected it. Like, obviously, right? He's Jesus. He, <laughs> God manifest in the flesh. Of course, he was going to, he, he came like he was perfect in everything. So, of course, he's going to be the perfect storyteller, right? <laughs> And yet they were relatable because they were the common man's story. They were about fishing and farming and mm-hmm. yep. like, uh, it's super cool. That's super cool. And I love to thinking about like, like obviously, so we have Moses being the first writer of scripture. And so prior to that, you have 2,500 years of just oral history. And so, right. you know, the the accounts of those first five books are like, they're represented in a, in a like we, I think we've talked about this where like when you when you write something it's one thing to write it down and it reads a certain way but if you're going to speak it on video or tell that story I think it, the the language has to change in a way that is still compelling and shares the same information but it has to be more engaging for that individual to keep someone's attention and so like the way that those first five books are written in that, in the sense of like an oral story tradition. Yeah. I think really mm-hmm. in, incredible um, because it, 
it hits all the major points and yet it's it's also like it doesn't get hung up on some of the details that don't matter i think some people get frustrated with genesis maybe for that like the creation story Mm. yeah (laughs) where are the facts like give me the give me the hard data like that's not his intention exactly it was never his intention like it was supposed to just show you like the grand beauty of creation and how these things started and how they became and like we won't if you get hung up on it like you're going to be talking about you know (laughs) i mean i don't even think we have a really good representation of um just how much time took place throughout creation even before adam and eve were created like it's just you have to present those things in an interesting way you can't be like okay well for the first hundred years, you know, this happened, and then another yeah. fifty years, this happened. Like, right. it's not interesting in that way. It had to yeah. be something that could be orally shared and was interesting and was carried on from generation to generation. Um, yeah, as the because these were stories that the Israelites were like telling each other as they were leaving Egypt. Right, and I think that's what's even cooler is like they're probably talking about creation as they're walking out of the city of Egypt as they've crossed the Red Sea. They're talking about the creation story and telling the children that were born along the way these right. things. I I don't know. That's it's just like mind boggling the scale of of that and how it's been preserved. It's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was something yeah, that they, had... they were they were told they had to tell their children, right? Like there were things that like even with like Joshua, right? When they, they set up the stones when they were crossing the Jordan River and they said, Put these stones here so when your kids ask you what what is what what does this mean? What was this for? You can tell the story of the great things yeah. that God has done. So you could say that in some way the Israelites were commanded really to tell stories, because that's mm-hmm. how generations were going to know about things and we see issues come up when they didn't tell stories and when the children grew up and did not know the things that God had done. I mean, they lost the word of God in the temple. Like they literally, they're like yeah. cleaning up the temple and they're like, Oh, we found, we found the books. What is this? Probably read this. Like they hadn't had it for, I don't know. I don't even know what that period was like a hundred years or 150 years. And they just had lost the word of God. Like it's, yeah. it's insane. <laughs> Right. <laughs> what would we do if we had lost? If we just lost the word of God for lost, yeah. a century, for two, wow. three generations, like what would we? I don't know. What would that do to us? <laughs> I don't. I don't even want to know. <laughs> and obviously, it did bad things to the to the children of Israel and Judah and whoever it was at that point. So, what do you guys think? Because because obviously, we we talked about the Bible as the greatest story singular ever told. But there's a whole bunch of stories within the Bible, right? Like there's made up of a whole bunch of different stories. So while we can say overarchingly, it is the greatest story ever told, it's it's made up of other stories. So what do you think are the most important stories in the Bible in regards to like the influence of literature or influence on other pieces of literature? Like what are the most like important ones? I love the structure of um, the story of uh, Samson and Delilah. I think it... Mm. I feel it feels like it informs like like Greek tragedy almost in the way that it's written. Um the way that he, you know, deceives her three times and everything has like a um you know, he's constantly throwing them off and then he's undone by his own his own ego and his pride yeah. and his and his love for things that he shouldn't love. Like it feels very it feels very Greek to me. It feels very yeah. uh, 
mythology. So I love, I love that. Or the fall of a great man because of like a woman, right? Like I think Delilah's mm-hmm. probably even like a, I don't say by word, but it is, it's like a, you know, a word for someone who's going to, you know, be a, a temptress or whatever. Like people, people use yeah. that. You don't, you don't see a ton of people naming their daughter Delilah, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you there could if you some wanted to, I suppose. Yeah, there are true. some out there. <laughs> Strange. So, yeah, that's true. <laughs> what other stories, guys? Obviously, the other most, ones are super the, important. The most, the most influential one, obviously, is like the, 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 the Christ story, the... You know, the death and the yeah. burial and the mm-hmm. resurrection or the, the man who takes on the sins of the world or, or who takes on uh, what, whatever the whatever the the burden is and sacrifices himself. You know, um, there's this great uh, term that I came across when I was doing my grad work in English and it's intertext, um, which is it's an intertext mm-hmm. is, is a, a story or, or a text you read that helps you understand another story or it could be one that connects connects two stories Uh, and so just just an example like we we did absalom absalom um and the story of absalom in the bible is an intertext for faulkner's absalom absalom because you can't understand faulkner's book really without reading the story so it's intertext so i i I think i don't think it's a stretch at all to say that the story of jesus is the intertext for all of western literature like in yeah, some, or, yeah. or, or we'll expand it, it will not be too, the Bible is the intertext for all of Western literature, uh, except for possibly the last few decades. Every yeah. single story you read, it's some way, in some way, it, it necess- necessitates you having some sort of understanding of the Bible. For sure, like all of Shakespeare, most of Victorian literature, yeah. um, all of that, like, like you have to understand this, the stories in the Bible. And I'd say particularly the, the, the story of Jesus Christ in order to understand, um, um, these, all these other books and, and, and to really get the feeling and the understanding of them. One, I know we're going to talk even more about, uh, in one of our later episodes in this season. Uh, so it was just a little bit of a teaser is kind of, <laughs> uh, the, just for one example, the, the Western cowboy, uh, story. There's a lot in that story mm-hmm. in, in like the, the classic, the, the, the gunslinger r- like rides into town. Um, he does the dirty work and then he rides on and leaves. There's a lot influenced there. Uh, I think in the, in the, in the Christ story, the one who comes on the, the man who comes in, does the dirty work, takes on the sins, does the hard thing, sacrifices his own, um, whatever it is, his own, he risks his own life or whatever, solves a problem, like kills the rich, the, the, the rich cattle baron or the bandits or whatever who are trying to cause chaos and then leaves and then leaves behind a town that's now cleaned up for people to live in. Uh, that's w- just one very small uh, influence, I think, of the Christ story. So that's the most important one probably. After that's probably what, like Moses maybe, the story of Moses. Um Old Testament stories like that that influence our literature and things like that, but the Christ story for sure. Like the reluctant hero is what I was thinking with Moses, you know, like having to come back or like going away to the wilderness, like, you know, by himself, you know, and then coming back. Like it feels like that's like the superhero story, you know, like, oh, I just want to live a normal life, like going out, hiding, then having to come back and save people, you know, like be a like be a leader and be the hero. But I was even thinking, like, we talked about this, I think, on our Dragon Slayer episode with David. And, like, because I think the Giant Slayer motif can sometimes be a stand-in for, like, the Dragon Slayer. Like, the one guy being the champion 
and because that's like what the definition of a champion was right like two people fighting Mm -hmm. so that like so entire nations wouldn't have to and like the young you know kid fighting the really big giant and just doing it for all the other people doing it voluntarily and then having victory so i think i think david that that's a pretty important one too and we see that pop up for sure yeah um, probably mm-hmm. similarly mm-hmm. to to like with like dragon slayer stuff mm-hmm. yeah i think they occupy the the giant and the dragon as far as like in like the thematic or the archetypal niche i think they occupy the same niche for sure when i was preparing for this episode i was thinking of a couple books that immediately kind of depict a lot of what we're talking about here and specifically when it comes to as ben was talking about as the intertext towards, you know, talking about Jesus. And um, there's a book called East of of Eden by John Steinbeck. And I mean, the Mm -hmm. title in and of itself (laughs) just kind of already gives that biblical illusion, you know, from the Bible. And what is East of Eden? Well, East of Eden literally means to live East of Eden, outside of Eden. And this is what happens when God's perfect plan is corrupted by sin. And so it's a story Mm. of all these people who live corrupted lives and it leads to a lot of sin. In the very last couple pages, I'm not going to spoil anything because I do think it's a book that we can learn a lot and see the influence of, you know, the Bible in it. But in the end, we see this powerful depiction of forgiveness between a father and a son and his father's love that is extended towards his son so he doesn't have to living guilt anymore. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us so that we don't have to live with the generational curses, with the corruption that came from living East of Eden. And so being able to read like a piece of literature and then have like tears in my eyes as I'm reading these last couple pages and just thinking Mm -hmm. about God's love for me. And there's nothing that says God in this scripture, but it is clear as day that this is coming from biblical text that this is a principle that is powerful and you know someone can be deeply moved in that moment reading a text or be terrified you know by seeing like what can happen with corruption and you know we've talked about it before how some literature is basically a warning to us you know of what not Mm -hmm. to do and how not to live our lives and so I just think once again it's going back to the greatest story already told it And then good literature in our lives today is in a way kind of retelling or pointing us back to the greatest story, right? Of these principles that, that we're living out. So I love that about, about literature. Um, And then another story that I was thinking of too, that's also by John Steinbeck is the grapes of wrath. And that Mm -hmm. literally comes from a scripture in the Bible um, in Revelation fourteen nineteen, it says, so the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And Ooh. that's where the title comes from. The great imagery there, right? Yeah. Like powerful imagery. And this isn't even the story. Like this is just yeah. the title of the book, you know, right. so it goes to show the title of your book can really make or break something. But, no. um, <laughs> I don't know if you wanted to add to that, Dinah, real quick. Well, what I was going to say, say, Jen, is like, I feel like we could even do an episode just on the books that get their titles from the Bible. Mm. Like, you guys have already yes. mentioned a few, and I will now interrupt yeah. this episode for my um, episode where every single episode where I do my Agatha uh, Christie, you know, Dinah, my Dinah Shuhins, <laughs> Agatha Christie into the episode. And there's multiple, multiple Agatha Christies. She has a book called The Pale Horse. Of course, it's from Revelation. You know, I saw mm-hmm. a pale horse and him who sat upon it was death. 
which is a book called Evil Under the Sun. Um, and that's, you know, from Ecclesiastes, because he says multiple times, I saw this evil under mm-hmm. the sun. And I think there might be more, but even just a title, because you talked about the power of a yeah. good title, Jen, and the imagery in the Bible is just amazing. And so anytime you, like, I think that's going to be a great title if you, if you mm-hmm. quote from the Bible, right? Yeah. And so I looked yeah. at this article and it was, it was giving others. And so you guys mentioned some of them, but I just wanted to read a couple off because I was like, I didn't, I didn't realize that, but I didn't realize that A Time to Kill by John Grisham was from the Bible. And now that I think about it, it's like, it's that part in Ecclesiastes, you know, there's a time to love, a time to hate, mm-hmm. a time to kill, a time to live, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's one, um, The House of Mirth by Edith Wharton. I guess that's from um, Ecclesiastes as well. You mentioned East of Eden, Jen. The Sun Also Rises, Ernest Hemingway. That's yep. from, is that from, is that Ecclesiastes? Oh yeah, more Ecclesiastes. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I'm Ecclesiastes glad you brought that up. Weird. I was going to mention that one. That's an example of a book that's absolutely incomprehensible if you don't understand the reference in the title because okay. that's literally yeah. that the sun also rise it's talking about there's a time for all these things but it's written it's from it's from ecclesiastes which is like basically this guy talking about everything is worthless everything is vanity i've come to the end of my life and you know nothing is worth anything and that's literally what the book is about it's these people going through their lives and like nothing makes sense and nothing's worth anything yeah which there's huh. there's all the we, we mentioned that stuff before but that's a great example of one if you don't understand that title and know what that's coming from it's basically like what is even is this book what is the entire point it's of this just book? one long picnic mm-hmm. you don't understand it's just a but, long picnic pretty much but the point is that it's a worthless picnic that doesn't mean anything <laughs> that's correct <laughs> oh goodness ecclesiastes um the last one i want to give you guys uh which i didn't realize this one was from the bible either but it just it just goes to show you you never know but did anyone it's a children's book but did anyone ever read number of the stars by Lois Lowry. It's a, it's a Holocaust no? uh-uh. book. It's yeah. really good. And that, it's, that's from, she's the same person, I guess, who wrote The Giver. I don't remember that it was the same person, but it's from Psalm 147.4 about <laughs> God tell the number, tells the number the numbers of the stars and he calls them by name. So if you know that, mm-hmm. like, oh, it's a Holocaust. Yeah. It's a Holocaust book you know, about God numbering the stars. It's just, I didn't realize that that one's wow. from the Bible. So honestly, I bet if we looked, we probably could do an entire episode just on like the significance of like the different titles. So it's, mm-hmm. it's influenced a lot of stuff. It's influenced film, books, yeah. so much stuff. Yeah, let, me give you, let me give you a great one. Let me give you a great, a modern example of, of this. And you have to understand what it, uh, or, or at least you're supposed to. Uh, so it's from a TV sure. show came out. Okay. The book of Boba Fett. Now here's the, here's the thing. Explain. The book Explain. of, <laughs> okay. But, but, okay. But when you hear the phrase, the book of, what do you automatically think of? The Bible, right? What's the only, oh. what's the, what, what's the only real thing? I guess there are some other very ancient references, but like, <laughs> at least for me, whenever you, the book of this, it's always referring to the book of Genesis, the book of Job, the book of whatever. Um. So that TV show, whatever you think of the TV show, regardless, that, that I think the intent <laughs> there was to evoke this kind of Old Testament, like brutal yeah. sort of like uh, uh, understanding is the book of this rather than just calling it whatever it was. Now, again those of you who've seen it you can comment on a different podcast what you thought about it if you thought that worked out but i do think that was the i do think that was intentional to draw that kind of old testament judgment sort of um understanding yeah. evan shaking his head because we've had this conversation so yeah and evan thinks oh, it's yeah. baloney i bet some stories just don't live up to the oh, name agree. i think that's a thing yeah, the you name, know what i mean perfect the name was a lot better than the execution for sure <laughs> 
Okay, okay, but okay, another, I, I guess I want to say modern, but it's not really modern because it was made in, what, the 70s, but hello, Indiana Jones. You've got the Raiders of the Lost oh. Ark talking about, like, Old Testament judgment. Yes, yeah. And then, of course, then there's the Last Crusade and that, you know, is more New Testament, but you have, like, an epic, really cool movie based on, like, the supposition that, and I guess this is spoilers for the movie, that, like, the Bible is true and the Ark of the Covenant is real and this there's this whole movie based upon it so the bible has given uh entertainment a whole lot of in the entertainment industry a whole lot of um a whole lot of mileage yeah the, you would think too they would uh i mean they malign the source material so much it's kind of it's kind of ironic considering yeah. it provides the the what they need for so much of what they're creating it's true, and yet they That's they tear down. So. Yeah, right. And they're just like, yeah, exactly. yeah. Let's let's just rip it up as much as we can. But we're still going to use all the main stories of it. Yeah, so, exactly. I'm just gonna say, I've been I was thinking about a couple like what I consider to be like the epic stories of the Old Testament, and it's like I go back to um, Joseph and just how much of like a yes a trick, a turn of the story, a twist ending, like if it were written and presented in a different way, like obviously we know who he is the entire time, but there's such a, like, here's the grand reveal. Like it was me all along that kind of deal. Like I was your, yeah. Yeah. I was your captor and I'm your savior. Mm-hmm. And, and then you've got, you know, the spy craft of, of numbers and, and, you know, yeah. you have Rahab betraying her city and becoming the bloodline of Christ. And like, I don't, right. there's just so many of these like epic stories that inform like generations. And I think that's something that we don't really get. You don't get a book. Literature covers a generation or two. And we've read a couple of these books that were like, they take place in three different timelines or, and yeah. it's really mm-hmm. ambitious for them to do that. And then you have sure. scripture and we're like, Oh, yeah. we're just going to cover thousands of years of generations and epics and stories and and have different writers and it's all going to be fine it's all yeah. going to it's all going right. to mesh perfectly yeah. <laughs> yeah. we're just gonna we're gonna and i i'm like <laughs> kudos to the translators because uh, i know right? they preserve so much of, of like the the beauty of scripture across yeah. all of these different things moving from a really i mean hebrew's a very um I don't, it's a very alien language. And so for them to be able to translate it into Latin and English and Greek right. in such a way that's still so like impactful in those languages and still poetic. And I'm just, like I said, I'm in, I'm in awe. I'm in awe of the scripture. Exactly. An alternate epi- title of this episode could be, you know, Dinah, Ben, Evan, and Jen geek out over how amazing the Bible is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. It's true. Okay, here's one I want to throw at you guys if we're talking about stories in the Bible that have influenced other genres and influenced uh, literature. And I haven't really looked into this to see if it's a thing. And so I haven't really like completely formulated this theory. But what about the story of Ruth as a prototype for like a fairy tale? You have this girl, this young woman who's gone through trial, who's gone through suffering, but has remained good and positive and great. And she meets this man who takes care of, who basically saves her. He's his, her kinsman redeemer. And we could do a whole discussion on what, you know, a redeemer, kinsman redeemer was. Mm -hmm. And she gets married at the end. She gets her prince. She gets her happily ever after. And then she becomes the bloodline, you know, of King David. And then all the way through, through Jesus. So I don't know, like, 
is there something there? Yes. <laughs> thank you, Evan. We got So thank you, Evan. I'm gonna have to think more on this theory, but I, <laughs> I don't know. I think there might be something there. I was Perhaps. going through like all the princess fairy tale storylines in my head as you were talking. Yeah. I was trying to. Yeah. Like, there's definitely, there's definitely something there, you know. I don't know. We yeah. have to break it down more. Next episode. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what else are there? Like, what are maybe archetypes that? Because we, we, I mean, we've talked about important, you know, influential stories. We've talked about how it relates to other literature. Is there any archetypes that that seem to? I mean, that's kind of along the same lines, I guess, of what we've been, what we've been talking about. But are there any other archetypes that show up or maybe even themes? Because I'll go back to one, maybe just to get us started, that we talked about not too long ago when we talked about guilt. Remember, and we talked about Macbeth and Lady Macbeth and then Judas Iscariot. And I see multiple times we see this theme of guilt popping up in the Bible, not just with Judas. We see it with different people in the Bible and we see examples of how of how to respond to guilt and how to deal with guilt than ways to not respond mm-hmm. with guilt. So any other themes that we can think of that just keep popping up that we've seen in other literature it can maybe be ones we've discussed in the podcast or, or maybe other ones what one thing i was going to bring up which when i was talking about grapes of wrath i was gonna <laughs> gonna mention this sorry but it's no you're good you're good we we got on a good tangent yeah um but one thing i was gonna gonna mention so in that story for those who don't know um with the grapes of wrath basically it's about a family who lives in oklahoma the dust bowl it's during the dust bowl you know, and they have to travel to California. There's a lot of bad things that happen along the way, but California is the promised land. And just reading that, like, it just makes me think of that theme, you know, with the Israelites leaving Egypt, wandering in like a desert, which, you know, the Dust Bowl created a place of desert and they're marching on towards the promised land. And I think too, like in our everyday vernacular, like we use this phrase, like, Oh, the promised land, you know, that's, and Mm -hmm. that comes from this story in the Bible. And yet it's not just us using that phrase, you know? And so I think of how, you know, we talked about how, okay, like think of like the phrase catch 22, how people use that phrase. And that came from Mm -hmm. this terrible book, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But then you have these, you know, phrases that we use in our everyday lives that come back from the Bible and whether you've ever picked up the Bible or not, you're using this phrase. Mm. And I think that's interesting to think about too, you know, how we all use these phrases and are all influenced by the Bible, whether we've read these stories or not. Yeah, that's true. It's a really good point. Yeah. There are different phrases and different things that come from, from the Bible. Yeah, but Jen, what happened when they got to the promised land of California and greats of wrath? Well, did it turn out to be the promised land? (laughs) Um, it didn't end how it ends I in think... the movie. <laughs> oh, there's a movie where like it ended better, I'm assuming. It's... No, I think you're I th- yes. I think you're right with that. Like that's I think you're right because I cause cause because Steinbeck takes the idea of the promised land and then flips it on its head because like, oh here's yes. the promised land and get there, it's not yeah. a promised land. And right. for those of us still living here in California, I can tell you it's it hasn't been a promised land for a long time. Um <laughs> so uh so uh, uh, I, I I do think you're right. So because sometimes you can you can take a theme or an idea like that that people know from something came from the Bible, yes. then you flip it on its head, and that's what makes it yeah. Um, uh, and it doesn't a, have a special story. So I agree with you. 
Exactly. Exactly. So it doesn't have to translate exactly. It's not a retelling of the story. Exactly. It's just use, you know, these stories. And yeah, I do think it's interesting, though, how like in Hollywood, they'll bring happy endings to books. <laughs> You know, so like they did that, the Grapes of Wrath. And I was thinking about with fairy tales, how the mm. fairy tales, you know, we grew up the Disneyfied version. Yeah, exactly. It's so happy. And then I was actually having a conversation with someone this week and we were talking about um, the Little Mermaid. And then she was telling me, she's like, do you know the actual story? And it's like, horrible. Yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's really so bad. It's, it's really bad. It's just, yeah. Anyways, that's that's a whole nother episode. There's a lot of other episodes coming out of this episode. Yeah, really. Yeah, the fairy tale. See, because that's what the Bible does, right? Like, it's like the prototype for everything, and everything else just like yep stems from it. Is trying to be as good as it. Yep. Exactly. But I also had well, a, this I also been... had a really interesting interesting study. Um, a few weeks back, I can't remember what I was. I was studying for some lesson I was teaching or something, but I was. Oh, I, it was a sermon I taught, and I talked about William Tyndale, and I came across something uh, that I didn't understand. I, I, I guess I, I just didn't think about it, is that when William Tyndale, the 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 base, essentially his translation of the Bible, a lot of that ended up in the New King James ver- or the King James version, and there were a lot of phrases and words that he invented when he was translating wow. that that are in the King James that we that are just part of like daily just 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 daily language today and we don't even realize it but they came from the bible specifically in this case the, the mm. english uh, king james version um one of them was like uh what was it? There's, there was a super common one sort right of top of my head oh the powers that be so i can't remember what scripture huh. it is but that that's in the king the powers that be but tyndale came up with that phrase in his translation they use it in king james that's wow. where the phrase comes from so just 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 mm. like and so my point here with this is that the bible Knowing the book like the Bible and an intertext like the Bible gives us a common vocabulary to use in all these works that we can just use the phrase and then you don't have to explain it. So like Jen brought up Mm -hmm. the promised land, you don't have to explain that because everybody knows what that means. Yeah, that's a really good point. Mm -hmm. Without that story, you'd have to explain what that meant, but we can just use that. You can just drop references like that in your, in your works mm. and it automatically mm. takes people to this idea and this concept. And you don't have to explain it and it can frame your whole, your, whatever you're, whatever you're writing about. We need to think that's on that cool. one more. On that and think of the other yeah. one. No, yeah. seriously. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's really good. One of my favorite books that does that a lot is King Solomon's minds by H writer Haggard, which is the, the classic adventure story. Uh, that the character Alan Quatermain, for those who know that is where he came from, mm-hmm. um, it's a that it's that, that I mean the title itself, King Solomon's Minds. If you don't know who King Solomon is, you can't understand the, the concept there. But even right. just in the book, he just he drops like biblical phraseology and words and references, mostly Old Testament, but throughout the whole entire book all the time, um, and relates stuff in the adventure to these things in the Bible. Uh, and if you you can miss a lot if you don't if you're not familiar with especially the King James version. You can miss a lot of stuff in the, uh, his references that he just doesn't explain. And I would say the book was written like 1885, so I would say back then people were probably even more familiar with the Bible in general than they are today. At least some of those those ideas. Right. So he just doesn't explain stuff. It'll be like a really oblique reference to something that everybody would have understood at that at his time. Uh, that's just from the Bible. Yeah. You don't I, and I and 
having read and, and under and, and studied the Bible, I almost said understood the Bible. I can't say that I understand everything about the Bible. That would be <laughs> quite a, a little hubris of me. But but just having read and studied it, I can pick up more of that stuff. Same thing with Shakespeare. Um, mm-hmm. I tell people like like English class, like uh, people like oh, I can't understand Shakespeare. I was like, read the Bible first, read the King James. Yeah, yeah. understand <laughs> that you can understand Shakespeare. Yes, exactly. One thing that I keep coming back to when we're talking about themes or things that just keep popping up when we're as like as I'm going through and thinking about the things we've we've talked about in other episodes is that one thing that I think we love about good stories or one thing that you notice about good stories is that the characters seem real or they're believable, right? Like they're actually people doing real stuff. They've got flaws just like us and they're they just feel like they're real people. And, um, and of course, you know, we, we know that the, the, the stories that are in the Bible, and you know, these, these are, the, these are real people. So these actually were real people, but, but the way they were discussed, these are people that had flaws, but yet were still used by God. But it's like, you can identify with these people. They're not so unreachable. And I think that that's, that's one great thing about that makes a good story. Like we may have talked about this when we talked about Pride and Prejudice, but like Elizabeth Bennett just seems like such a real person. And Pride and Prejudice was written over 200 hundred years ago. But the way that mm-hmm. she acts, the, some even some of the language, I know it was like, you know, elevated, you know, English, you know, from from a couple hundred years ago, a couple you know centuries ago. But yeah, it still feels real and believable. And you can still see people acting in that same way. Again, I know it's a different culture, a different time, but you can still see people acting in that same way. And bring it back at the Christie again. But one of the podcasts that are the podcasts that I listen to about Agatha Christie, they go through and they rank the podcasters, they, they rank every book and one of their um, like criteria is plot credibility. Or as they say, do characters actually act in a believable way, in a way that people would actually act? And typically the higher that that category gets ranked, like the higher the book overall gets ranked. And I think that's, that's mm-hmm. true because we, what makes a good story is when people, regardless if something is happening in Narnia or in Middle Earth or on Tatooine or whatever, you know, made up realm or whatever the characters still feel real and you can still relate to them and you can take those situations and plop them into your life and see similarities. And I think that's one of the incredible things about the Bible. One of Mm -hmm. the many incredible things about the Bible (laughs) is real people, the real people in the stories. There's a, there's a literary critic and a a, a book um, that I I came across some of it again, I'm doing in in my studies. The book is called Mimesis by, um, Roger, I think, or Richard Auerbach. I, I don't know exactly how to say that name. It's a German name. Um, but his his uh, kind of the premise of the book is how literature mimics real life. Exactly what you're talking about, Diana. Like, do people act that mm-hmm. way? Um, and and the the introduction to the book, kind of like the first chapter, is actually um, famous. Well, in in literary critic circles, which is not that big, so it's not, I can't really say it's famous, but it's famous in those circles. Um, as kind of a study, he take he takes the story of Abraham and he takes the Odyssey and he compares them. And his his uh, conclusion essentially is that the Bible mimics real life the way people would act better than a lot of the ancient myths, and that's what sets the Bible apart mm. from those myths. Now, I, I I can't I'm not sure if he's like a quote unquote believer, but he just he's he approached it from a literary aspect and says the way people act in those store in the stories in the Bible. Um, like you're saying, it's so uh, true to real life. That's that's one of the things that sets it apart from all ancient myths. These people, even in the ancient mythologies and stuff like that, are dealing with some real stuff, um, but often they behave and act in ways that we can't necessarily relate to 
Um, but in the Bible, that's especially at such a late date, people are behaving in ways you could, like you said, you can read it. And it's like those people, that's how people act in real life. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's one of the things that does make the story so great and sets it apart from so much other literature. And we can study mm-hmm. the Bible to see how to, even just from a literature standpoint, to see how other characters and stories stack up against it. Do people act that right. way? One thing we haven't really talked about um, yet, and I think this is this is a thing of good literature, it's just like the prose or just the language itself of the Bible. Like I mentioned with one of the things you were talking about, Jen, just the imagery that's in the Bible. And it's just... Mm-hmm. It's just beautiful the way that it's written, you know, and, and again, we're not even getting in the original language, but just to read it in English, which to me just goes with like the complete, just the, I don't know, just nature of it. The fact that like, regardless of the language, I don't, I don't read the Bible in Spanish or in French or in Arabic or mm-hmm. all the other, whatever language, Chinese, Japanese, whatever. But I would assume it would probably be something similar where regardless of the language is just beautiful. And I think that just goes to God. Like my personal opinion is, is God's like design with it, that regardless of what language you're going to be reading it in, it's just going to be, it's just beautiful. Whether it be the poetry or whether it just be like the, the prose of it, it's just absolutely incredible. Well, you guys, again, like I said, at the top of the episode, there's no way that we could do a comprehensive, exhaustive discussion of the bible but this has been if anything i think it's just been like i said at some other point it's us been geeking and nerding out and just fangirling if you will if if, if it's okay to say that about the bible <laughs> about the bible and just how wonderful <laughs> and how great it is um so I, I more discussion like and, and in some way every discussion that we have is going to be is going to have something to do with the bible every every episode but um we'll definitely have be, be having more episodes specifically related to the bible but for our last words, I want us to think, and we've skirted around different issues, different things that the Bible can teach us or different themes, but maybe pick out one lesson that you feel that the Bible has taught you or what's one um, one story that you keep going back to or some one instance or something that the Bible has, has taught you that is just really important to you. It can be something that's different for everyone. And of course, this isn't the only lesson that the Bible teaches us, but just let's each just go through, maybe just pick one lesson that you think that the Bible has taught you. So Evan, you're going to be in the hot seat first. What's, what's been a lesson the Bible has taught you? So I think my biggest takeaway um, with looking at the, the Bible as literature and as this big overarching story is, I think I've said this a couple times in seasons past is finding a, like an anchor point, for your own story and seeing where you can connect yourself to the word of God. Um, there's a lot of incredible th- people that we can relate to throughout scripture. Um, but we, I think at some point within our, within our walk of faith, we have to find an anchor point that makes the word of God real and tangible. And like, we want to partake of it every day. There's, there's a point that we get to where I think we're connecting that story on such an intimate level that we want nothing more than to just be encapsulated by all that the word of God is and the stories of that, that are presented there and the the truths that are represented there. Like, I think that we have to find that thing that, that influences us and, and encourages us. And if you can find that, then I think your, your walk of faith, your spiritual growth is going to excel and, just exponentially take off and and you're going to develop into who God wants you to be, but you have to find that place that you connect to more than anything. Mm -hmm. Um, For me personally, 
Um, there were so many, um, I, I think about the scripture a lot. Um, woe is me for I am a man. Uh, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I think, again, I've mentioned this before and it always put into perspective that like, no matter what we do, we, we speak about holy things and we, we talk about faith and we talk about our experiences and yet we're still sinful. And yet in spite of that everyday sin that we deal with, God comes along and cleanses us and makes us righteous and makes us worthy to speak his words and share life and, and experience life. And those things like, I feel like they help to keep me humble and focused on understanding that you mess up one day and you're, you're unworthy and you're unrighteous one day and God can come along and cleanse you of those things and make everything right again. And you're back on the right path. And all it takes is a single moment, a single interaction with the holy presence of God. And if we can find that moment for each of us, I think that's what we need to hold on to. Amen. Thank you, Evan. All right, John, what about you? Oh, man, there's so many stories in the Bible that one could go to. But the last couple years, uh, an area of scripture and a story that I just haven't been able to really get away from is in the book of Deuteronomy and talking about the Israelites of them being in the wilderness. And I'm just going to share a scripture real quick. It's Deuteronomy 2, 7. It states, for the Lord, your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord, your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. And it's that last line that even in the wilderness, the Lord says you have lacked nothing while they've been wondering, while they've been going through mm -hmm. something that was pretty rough. And, you know, we all go through things. We walk through life. And yet in the middle of it, when we have God, we know that we lack nothing, that there's absolutely nothing that we lack. And, you know, I love studying the book of Deuteronomy. I mean, there's a reason that it is alluded to in the New Testament um, more than a, any other Old Testament book apart from Psalms and Isaiah. And it's because Jesus and the writers of the New Testament are saying, you know, this is the fulfillment and going back to these stories. Once again, they're bringing back stories to portray the principles and the lessons that God teaches us. And something that I think is beautiful about stories is as I'm reading these stories, one thing that I'm continually reminded of is the faithfulness of God. And Isaiah 26, three states, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And how I'm able to maintain perfect peace is by continually setting my mind on Christ. But when I read these scriptures, I'm able to see the faithfulness of God. As I read these stories, like I was talking about reading the story of, in the book of Deuteronomy and seeing, wow, God never failed them. He was with them in the wilderness. They never for a moment lacked anything. That shows me that no matter where I'm at in life, I'm not for one moment ever going to lack a thing in my life. And because of that, I get to have perfect peace every single day. And so for me, that's why we read these stories. That's why we meditate on these stories. That's why throughout history, people have meditated on these stories because we've seen the faithfulness of God and we'll continue to see the faithfulness of God until he comes back for his church. And to me, what a beautiful hope that we get to be filled up with as we continually take in the scriptures and share these stories with those behind us. Amen. Thank you so much, Jen. Well, for me, I'm going to go back. We, we talked a lot about 
themes and things that we see in um, other books and other literature that, that, you know, makes it a great story. And so one thing that I think is a mark of a great story and um, is all throughout the Bible is the comfort that it brings, right? We've talked about a mark of a great story is that it can bring us comfort. It can make us feel like we're not alone. And I I can't, you know, tell you the amount of times in, in my own life where I've gone to the scriptures just for comfort, whether it's mm-hmm. God saying, I will never leave you or forsake you, or it's the apostle John saying in one of his epistles that perfect love casts out all fear, or it's Jesus saying in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. The, the scriptures have just brought me immeasurable comfort with times in my life when I felt like I couldn't talk to anyone else when there was no one else, whatever we, you know, we've all been in situations like that, the word of God and the stories and just like the, the, the written words of God. And, and, and we use, you'll, you'll hear Christians use word, the word of God as like a, um, you know, a, a synonym, if you, if you will, for the Bible, what we truly believe it is as the word of God, this wasn't just written by, by random people that was all, you know, meshed together for a book. This is God speaking and people writing down the word of the words of God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And it's just brought immeasurable comfort to me. And that's the mark of a great story. And like I I mentioned multiple times that whatever things that we think that great stories or great books do, the Bible does it best. And the Bible does comfort best, better than any other book, any other, anything else you will ever read. The Bible brings comfort to me, like no other book, no other story, nothing else ever has. So that's it for me. What about you, Benjamin? So I don't know exactly how to, uh, you know, choose the the greatest thing that I've learned from the Bible. So I, I just want to give a kind of example of how the Bible can, how the Bible speaks to me and how it can speak to you. Uh, I remember um, I was probably about 14 or 15. Um, and just, just when I had really started reading the Bible for myself on any sort of regular basis. And I remember, I remember what it, I remember what the specific incident was, but it was something that my that my dad had said to me it was like a correctional thing that I was really upset about, and and I didn't think he was being fair or something like that, something along those lines. And I remember going up to my room, being like really angry, and I was like, "I'm gonna, I'll do my Bible reading right now. Maybe that'll help me." <laughs> and so I remember the, the whatever the the chapter in I was reading Proverbs, whatever the chapter was for that day. It said something, it was one of the ones where it's, ones in Proverbs, it says something along the lines of, you know, sons, accept the correction of your father. Or don't despise the correction of your fathers. And I remember going like, wow, that's exactly for me today. Somehow it worked out that when this happened, that was the, that was what I read for today. And I remember I just kind of like took a deep breath. I swallowed it. I was like, all right, even if I don't think this was fair, the Bible tells me I'm supposed to accept the correction of my father. Mm-hmm. And I'm supposed mm-hmm. to respect him. So I was like, that's just what I'm going to do. And that has served me well in since then, in the past, however many years since then. Uh, and, but, but that's what the Bible does. When you open up this book, that is the Bible. And it's the whole thing is a story, even though I was reading the part that was specific Proverbs and things like that. It's part of the whole story of God's, uh, his relationship with mankind. And that's what the Bible is supposed to do. You pick up the Bible. You read a part of it and it says something for you on that day. That's mm-hmm. the powerful nature of the Bible mm-hmm. and the words that it says. Uh, so I'm recommending anybody else pick it up when you, when something like that happens to you, when you're angry, emotional, pick it up, read and see what it has to say for you on that day. Cause you won't be disappointed. Man, that's a perfect way I think Man. to end and a, a great way to sum it up. 
Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today on our quest to find true meaning in our favorite stories. And today we talked about our favorite story. I think it's safe to say the Bible is our favorite story and the greatest story ever told. So thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to subscribe to The Lamppost in the Woods and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our intro and outro music is called Missing Peace, and that was composed and performed by Jacob Koppel. Jen, tell people about where they can find us on social media. You can follow us on Instagram at Lamppost in the Woods, and you can still leave us a review. You know, reviews are not like Instagram stories where after 24 hours they disappear and you can no longer <laughs> comment or yes, respond. Yes. You can write this moment or tomorrow or the next day, write us a review. So if you would like to do that, that would be wonderful. And thank you to all who have rated and reviewed the podcast. It means a lot to us. So thank you, guys. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Jen. <laughs> All right, you guys, we hope you will join us for our next episode. Benjamin, give the listeners a a little teaser of what we're talking about next time. We are going to bring you a little bit more C.S. Lewis. And we got to somehow work that in something every season. So uh, (laughs) we wanted one that would dovetail nicely with our from our episode with Dr. Painter and with our discussion of the Bible. So we're going to go to what, uh, you know, I think may maybe arguably the best c.s lewis book ever for sure i think the most literary one and that is the screw tape letters um so read the screw tape letters it's not it's not very long give it a read and let's come and let's discuss it spotlight on classics the screw tape letters it's gonna be awesome all right everyone wherever you find yourself on life's journey we hope and pray that this lamppost in the woods will help guide you to a more hopeful future see you next time